0: Would you remain standing for the scripture reading? Um, Just out of honor to God who speaks to us through these words. Last week we talked about waiting and remember the disciples, the apostles were called to wait until. And in today's reading we see the fulfillment of what that waiting was about. So listen now to the word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Make me powerful again (laughs) with my words. Children, uh, kindergarten through uh, grade three, you can go now to room 110. There is worship training. Ashley Sharp is at the back door waiting for you. Enjoy worshiping God.
1: Hope y'all are doing well. You have a sad pastor right now. Um, uh, my son just got on a plane to go back to college, and so I'm a little brokenhearted, by which I mean a lot of brokenhearted. Uh, we had a glorious month because they delayed in their return. But the good thing is I, I get to come back and um, preach to you uh, about an event that, that after people experience the event, they all were either utterly confused or thought the speaker was drunk. So, excited about that option that we can talk about. Um, confused or mocking, so I'm really excited about this. But let's ask about what, what is the thing that is happening here. Um, See, when you preach on the Holy Spirit coming down, you can't have any of that extra stuff going on because everybody starts wigging out anyway. (laughs) Um, uh, Let me start with Pentecost is what the name of it is, and and what I want to first say is Pentecost is not Pentecostalism, Um, and that's the word that usually comes up in, in our minds in America in this day and age, and Pentecostalism is this incredibly amazing tradition that most historians talk about it in America at least uh, for about 100 years ago. And in 1906, truly the Spirit of God came down in an amazing way in a powerful um, movement in LA that's called Azusa Street, sometimes called the Azusa Street Revivals. And William Seymour, who's an African American man, who, by the way, just to make it totally Holy Spirit weirdish, had only one eye. In those years that that he was preaching, uh, tens of thousands of people from all over the map, walks of life, rich and poor, men and women, Americans, non-Americans, black and white, Asian and Latino would come by car or horse or buggy or train or boat. Because there's such a powerful work that was happening. They were encountering something magnificent that the Spirit was doing. In the previous decade, to Azusa Street, there were 1,030 lynchings. America was not in a great place. 146 of them were white, 884 of them were black. But in 1906 and the years afterward, blacks and whites and men and women and people from all over the world gathered together and saw themselves as family as beloved members of life in Christ Jesus. It is an amazing part of our tradition. And I actually became a Christian in this tradition through the Vineyard Christian Fellowship, which is analogously related to this. And let me tell you that much of it is powerful and beautiful and truly miraculous. It's a tradition that I did not continue in but we have so much to learn from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. But it's not what happens in Pentecost. (laughs) And so, what is Pentecost? And by the way, I have a non-three-point sermon, which happens every once in a while, but it's like six points, and they'll be shorter, I promise. Pentecost is a miracle. And miracles in the scriptures always both dis- are both described events and prescribed for us on how our hopes and expectations about a living God working in the world is. Luke records what happens. He doesn't necessarily say that this is going to happen all the time everywhere. It may or may not happen again in some version of this. We'll talk about that in a bit, but it's crazy, awesome, strange, miraculous, and wild stuff. But miracles in the Bible aren't miracles for miracles' sake. Our Lord Jesus performed miracles all the time. But they were also demonstrative. They were demonstrating something. They were performative in the best sense of that word. He was demonstrating, performing out the power, life, and presence of God in his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And they were almost always accompanied by speaking, saying something about that, saying something about God and then performing or performing the miracle and saying something about something that actually happens here. Next week, we get the church's first sermon. So, and what did this happen? It was a miracle and people started speaking. They're connected together. When Jesus turned water into wine, he healed a Roman's official son. When he broke the Sabbath by, hearing, by healing a, a withered hand, When he fed the thousands on at least two occasions, he healed a blind man at a pool and loaded the fisherman's catch after the resurrection. All of those were were tied to the words that he was saying. The content was being explored via the miracle or, or again, performative in the best sense of that. Trying to demonstrate what he's trying to say and prescribe to us how to interact with a God who would do these miraculous things. As people who could have some expectation that we live in this amazing world that God is alive in. And there's miraculous activity happening all the time because God's alive and well in the world. Now, word and deed are not divided in Scripture. They're distinguished, but not divided. So, so Pentecost is this clearly a wild miracle that describes an event, but it, 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 it actually gives us the hope and posture of a heart, as, our hearts as well. But Pentecost is not just a miracle. Pentecost is fulfillment. So travel back in time with me and pretend you're a first century Jew, whether you were at the event that's taking place or reading about it soon after. You had headed back, or these uh, folks that were there were, had headed back to Jerusalem, for this annual amazing event. It was the event called Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover celebration. All right? It was about harvest and money. I mean, money. Boy, my eyes. Memory. Uh, uh, well, if it's about harvest, it's about money, so, you know, it's okay. Um, yeah, I meant that. Um, it, was, it was also so simultaneously celebrating the initial crops that were gleaned and dedicating and praying for the future crops that would be gleaned. And at the same time, it was a celebration of Moses coming back down down off the mountain with the word of God, the Ten Commandments, these grace-wrought, gospel-forming, true and beautiful words that would guide God's people, be the primary guide of God's people, really um, into this event, through this event as well, but it, right up to this event. It's amazing. Jews from everywhere, literally spanning 10,000 miles, would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the, the cities that were named. 10,000 miles are the places that were named. So, just like Passover, when our Lord enacted the Supper, and Pentecost, where the Spirit comes in glorious power, They're not simply events. They're fulfillments of promise of a long time ago. They are symbols and acts. They're symbols and realities. I mean, Jesus had just told them to wait for a promise. And the promise after he ascended to heaven is that he would send his spirit to baptize them in power. Remember that they had just recruited the 12th guy because Judas was no longer available. And they're representing the 12 tribes of Israel in a really significant kind of way, kind of a symbolic act again. And all this is happening, as fulfillment happens, is that, that, that God would not give up on Israel and that he would make them a blessing or bless them to be a blessing to the nations. And that's what happens in this passage. It's amazing. It's amazing. He likes the riddle of it all, if you will, the fulfillment of it all, the intricacy of it all. Remember, Abraham has promised not just to be blessed and be the family of God, a people of his own choosing, but that that would make them a blessing to all the nations, all the families. And this is what is happening here. So, a miraculous event. It's a fulfillment of Jesus' words. A fulfillment of the Jewish festival of Pentecost. It's amazing. So it's a miracle. It's fulfillment. But it's also wind and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind some say violent wind in some translations and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit came, gave them utterance okay, just because it's true don't make it a little crazy Right. The word "wind," in Hebrew and Greek, are the same words as "spirit" or "breath." In Hebrew, it's ruach. You can almost, its almost onomatopoeic, right? Like, I'm sorry if I use the word onomatopoeic. Um, but English, go back to seventh grade uh, English class book, and yeah. Um, and it, even in, Latin, in Greek, it's pneuma right, it has that feel to it, the breathing, the spirit, the life in it, all require our lungs to be activated to produce that kind of sound. So the wind, the spirit, the breath blew inside the house and then into the people. You know that wind is power and movement, right? It's what it is. Two things get filled. First the entire house. Uh, uh, most of you weren't here last Sunday, most of you were in your house, and then later on Sunday after, uh, afternoon and evening, the wind came for real, right? It was moving all sorts of stuff around. Now think about that, maybe not as cold, I don't know if it was cold or not, but it's now inside your house. That's what's going on. And then that same wind, spirit, breath comes upon the disciples. The people are filled with that wind, that breath, that spirit, And then they end up breathing out the word. That's the, when I think about the breath of God, you think about uh, the breath that spoke into creation or the breath that breathed into Adam's nostrils. God himself, the life of God himself. I'm not exactly sure what the, 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 the breath and wind, what it looked like or what it was, but we know this, it was uh, It was God's presence the life of God, the breath of God in that room that he has come to give life to us. And that's amazing. But Pentecost isn't just miracle fulfillment or wind and breath. It's fire, which is fire. Fire represents, what does it represent? Power and light and warmth, especially when you add wind. And this crazy scene, tongue-like incendiaries appear over their heads. Like the tops of candles is what usually gets depicted like. Fire and wind together create power that sets a forest ablaze. Wind and fire together warm living rooms across the nation. Wind and fire together bring light amid the darkness. The scriptures talk about God in Hebrews being a consuming fire and that's both dangerous but wonderful to be consumed in god jesus has said i came to bring fire on the earth and usually we hear that in a pretty negative way but i don't know if that's the case because when john the baptist says there's one coming after me he says he's coming to baptize you with the spirit and with fire amazing amazing Remember, Pentecost was a celebration of Moses bringing down the Ten Commandments. And you go back to that scene, and it says Moses is the only guy who could go up there to get him. Uh, and he had to actually, God had to turn his back from him because there was so much power up there. But it says that it looked like the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So much so that when he comes down, he's got like sunburn. He's got a radiance that he didn't even know was happening to him. You see this fire coming down and how this is tied to Pentecost? This is probably a fulfillment passage again, but isn't it amazing? The fire, like the burning bush, like the breath, the spirit, or the wind, is God's presence, his power, his light, his warmth. When Jesus left to sit at the right hand of the Father, he left his power and his light and his warmth in the spirit. That's good, good news. And yet it's not just about a miracle or fulfillment or fire or wind. It's about tongues and ears. The fire atop their heads that looked like tongues actually got into their tongues and went out. The light and warmth and power to the the gathered people. They must have left their little room upstairs at some point, went out and started talking. And the wind and fire blew into the world. First those incendiary tongues atop their heads, then their, 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 their tongues alit with a message. They just started to speak in a tongue they did not know, as the, as, as the Holy Spirit um, enabled them to speak in another language. But it wasn't just about the tongues, this is amazing too, it was about the ears. So the miracle is actually not just in, in the tongues, but actually the hearing. 12 folks cannot speak as many languages or to be understood in every language of that represents that swath of land. And they heard that language in their own ears, Ponder this for a while. It's a miracle of tongues and ears. And probably it was a contemporary language to them. It was one they didn't know. We don't know if it was one that everyone would have known in their own language or was the other type of language that everybody heard differently. But that's not the point. The point is they spoke and others heard in their own tongue. They probably could have done it in Greek, which was everybody's second language at the time. Kind of like us. Um, uh, everybody's second language at the time. They probably could have done a lot of it in Hebrew because they were all Jews. But they went to the tongue that they grew up in, their mother tongue, if you will. This is so incredible and gracious and kind when you think about the geographic and linguistic breadth. Breadth. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontus, I don't know, Pontusians, people from Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, at least the part that's part of Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, meaning Jews who are now Jews after they've converted, not ethnically, Cretans and Arabians. Amazing. It was a gift to the speaker and the hearer go back to the first century at Pentecost, Luke takes for granted that you would get this. When the apostles are filled with the spirit, then go bear witness to Jesus and his resurrection and then reap an immediate harvest, it's Pentecost. And then it's a promise that, and, 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 and a hope that that harvest would continue later. That wouldn't have been lost on people who celebrate Pentecost as a culture forever jesus was the prophet jesus was the prophet literally the prophet greater than moses if you look at deuteronomy and he goes up into heaven moses goes up into the mountain and instead of the law already given god gives them the power to fulfill the law by the spirit of his presence again this wouldn't be lost it's what the prophet ezekiel meant when he said that the law would be written on the hearts it would be in them breathe into them it's an amazing not tablets of stone people believe the gospel because the spirit came in through somebody's tongue and into somebody's ear translated for them so they could get it in your heart language you know when you become fluent in a language you can start dreaming in it right right that the mother language is even if it's not your original language the mother language is the one you dream in or moan in or pray in or hear the gospel in but It's more than that. It's actually Pentecost is a reverse. It's a reversal of a curse. Right before God made His promise to Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations, where He says He's going to be, you would be a nation, nation blessing nation. Right before that, in chapter eleven, in chapter eleven is kind of three through eleven is kind of like things getting worse right? It's kind of the devolution of humanity, right? And the, 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 the last thing that happens, the culminating chapter of the kind of human deep disobedience in that section of Genesis, is the nations actually, the people were just utterly arrogant. They, really, they literally tried to build a tower that, so that they could access God. It was called Babel. But God can only be accessed by his kindness and mercy and his grace. God can only be accessed by God. He he has to give us access. His grace, not our effort, every time, all the time. And so God actually, both as a curse but also as a, a, a true blessing, confused their speech. They could not cooperate with each other to to erect this kind of idolatrous, blasphemous tower. It was called Babel, a word about confusing speech, a permanent difference of speech. People thought, like they did this time, that they were drunk. But in Pentecost, the Spirit actually reverses the reality of that curse Of linguistic confusion by his power and his grace the spirit by his grace overcomes that curse by the breath of god god's blasts through babel keeping it intact but fulfilling its greater intent of language in really amazing way why so they could hear about the mighty works of god why so they could hear the gospel of jesus why so they could receive this power this breath this fresh fire coming in to the world to change the world it's truly mercy upon mercy pentecost miracle fulfillment wind and fire tongue ear and reverse of a curse all right georgia that was cool so what? or it wasn't cool, so what? <laughs> um, let me first address the common question about speaking in tongues. It seems like Scripture has two ways of talking about speaking in tongues. One seems to be what is, um, which is like a private prayer or groaning, that sometimes manifested in church services in, um, in, in the early church. The second, is this event here, they spoke in tongues, but just so you know, there there is a difference between the language of tongue and and language, tongue and language, but it works a lot like ours does too. Your mother tongue means your mother language, so it's it's sometimes hard to tell the difference in so this way. Anyway, so I became a Christian in the Vineyard Christian Fellowship, which has a significant emphasis on those experiences. Uh, Though I didn't land in that tradition, I also believe there are times and places, and I think both history, uh, modern and, and ancient history, attest to things uh, like that happening. So, as you might realize, my view on this is nuanced, because um, I usually am that. Um, anyway, so uh, at the Spirit's bidding, there are historical records of, of people hearing the language or speaking the language in their own tongues. Actually, I know two people that have experienced this, and one was my own mother. My mother was in Haiti doing a VBS, her translator got sick, couldn't do it. My mom was able to communicate both of the gift of her, her, her own language experience, being Italian, um, and English and knowing German, and she's a, what do you call it, a polyglot? She's one of those people. But she was able to speak um, Haitian Creole to the kids. Now, obviously it was at an elementary level, but she was able to do that and people understood. Now she was throwing in Italian words and French words and German words, you know, obviously. But that's not that different. It's not that different. And it was a place where people could hear the gospel. It was about hearing the gospel. The other is, and this is a little bit more different, but one of our own uh, cross-cultural workers, learned to speak Arabic in a matter of a month and a half. And to this day, if. He calls, you, he calls somebody else, an Arab speaker, on the phone, the guy's got red hair and really light skin, so if you saw him, you knew he wasn't Arabic. But, um, but if, if you eat on the phone, they do not know he's not a native Arab speaker. He has a gift of tongues. Now, people argue about whether that's a permanent gift of tongues. I don't think that actually exists because it's as the Spirit allows, right? So these just happen at times because Spirit likes to funky stuff sometimes. You know, we just got to get over it. It's not an easy thing when you got fire and wind going, you know. But the most important thing about Pentecost, it's about the proclamation of the gospel. That's what we got to really get wild about. It It tells us that the spirit of the living God works miraculously to help us speak and hear about the mighty acts of God. That's the goodest, the goodest news. If your, if your ears have understood the kindness of Jesus, it's because of Pentecost. Because our ears don't hear that translation well without the spirit working. That is the kindness, the wind, the fire into our tongues and, or out of our tongues and into our ears, all breaking the curses and fulfilling God's great redemptive plan in all of history. That is the good news. The spirit is alive in the church. Please hear me, the Spirit empowers us to speak about Jesus so people will come to Him. And even speak it to one another so that we will come again to Him. Let us encourage you to speak to your neighbors in Winston and around the world about the beauty, truth, and love of Jesus Jesus. He still does miraculous things with our tongues and in our ears. I cannot tell you how many times I've preached a sermon, and one of you have come up to me and said, I, you know, it was really important when you said da 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 and I was like, you can check my notes. I, I did not say da-da-da-da-da-da. The Spirit said it to you, and I'll take credit. I'm good. Um, it's amazing. Now, sometimes you say, you said da-da-da-da-da-da, and you're mad at me, but, I, but yeah, anyway. Um, and know this. The primary reality of the spirit coming in Pentecost is not about the tongues and ears, but about what comes out of the tongue and into the ear. The very content and the language, the heart language of people. Pentecost is just another instance of what the Bible is all about. The life, death, resurrection, and reigning of Jesus. By his mercy, it's about the gospel of grace. Pentecost gives us power and desire and hope and courage and an expectation that our mouths can be lit about the beauty of who Jesus is. Amen. Jesus, we do pray that you would would do something wacky and amazing. That you would Flood our hearts with your breath. We know that your spirit already resides in us by faith, but by just having faith in you, we know we are baptized in the Holy Spirit when we came to you. But you do weird things sometimes. And so we'd be glad to see some of that stuff, but we don't wait for that because this story and so many other things in our lives tell us that you are alive and well and that the breath of your spirit is in us, through us, to our neighbors. And so we don't look for the signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders. We look for your power to change hearts and lives by you miraculously speaking through us and you miraculously letting ears hear that can't hear you speak. We pray all this in your name. Amen.